How many of you do most of your uh, Christmas shopping now online? Anybody online shoppers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting how that phenomenon has just really grown. Um, and I got I to gotta admit, I love it. I love being able to just sit in my lounge chair and peck away at the keys and just kind of, you know, have them shipped to you, whatever you want. Now with Prime, you can get it in a day or two days or whatever. You kind of love that. But, you know, when it, when it first started out, when all the online shopping thing first started out, everybody was kind of skeptical about it. How many of you have ever saw something online and when you got it, it wasn't anything like the picture. Anybody? Yeah, and I think you get burned like that a few times and you go, you know, I'm, I'm not so sure. In fact, how many eBay shoppers we have here? Anybody, anybody shop on eBay? Yeah, anybody sell on eBay? Yeah, you cheated me back here, Jared. I know you did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so interesting. When, when eBay first came out, my, uh, my oldest son said, told me, he said, Dad, he said, you need to keep mom away from eBay. And I said, why? He said, it's like the world's largest garage sale, you know. And my wife was addicted to garage sales. Like, okay, we're not going to go. It's so interesting because, you know, when you see something, you, you look at it and you go, Does it, is it really going to look like that and all this kind of stuff? And there's an old adage that I, I think some of us kind of live by, and it says, if it's too good to be true, it is. It's not true. Well, how about if you saw something like this on eBay? Throw that picture up on the screen for me. How many of you guys would like that? Yeah, that's a, uh, that's a 2004 Lotus sports car. That went for about uh, $35,000, $40,000 back in the day. And when it popped on eBay in 2005, it was only on eBay five minutes and eight seconds before it was sold. Now, $40,000 car, what would you consider to be a good deal? How about $20,000? How many of you would pay twenty thousand for it? Oh, some of you cheapskates in here. Okay, yeah, me and Jeff. I'll pay twenty. Yeah, How about ten thousand. Ten thousand. Somebody pay for it. Five thousand dollars for this car. How many would you pay five? You guys don't have any money, do you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 How many of you like your parents to pay five thousand dollars for that car? Yeah. 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 If you can imagine this, the reason why it sold so quickly, this car went on eBay and sold for sixty-five cents. <laughs> 50 pence in England, 65 cents American currency. Now, if you were an eBay shopper and you saw this on eBay for 65 cents, how many of you would think it's a scam? Yeah, you know, but it's 65 cents. I mean, would you roll the dice for 65 cents? I, I probably would. You know, it's 65 cents. I could throw that away. I throw that away at Starbucks every day. You know, I mean, holy cow, 65. Well, it, it, it was a legitimate deal. This car actually sold to a guy on eBay for 65 cents. And the reason it was being sold on eBay for 65 cents was it was owned by a DJ whose wife's name was also on the car. He wasn't a nice guy. On the air, he liked to take shots at his wife. Uh, he liked to flirt on, on his uh, show uh, and just kind of act like he was uh, this lover boy, even though he had a wife and kids at home. And it used to annoy his wife, and she kept telling him how annoying it was. Well, one day he was on the air, and she was listening to the show, and he was interviewing, in 2005, he was interviewing this model. This beautiful, beautiful model. His wife was home pregnant. And he was flirting with this woman on the air. Tells her on the air for everyone to hear. I'd leave my wife and kids for you. 
And so his wife said, really? And so she decided to get a little revenge. So she sold his pride and joy for 65 cents on eBay. Can I get a high five from some woman here? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Gentlemen, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Well, it, it was a real deal. I, you know, I thought about that because I thought, you know, how much, how much proof would you really have to have before you think that something like this is legitimate? Because again, so when you see something, when you hear something like that, you know, if it's too good to be true, it is too good to be true. It just can't be real. And we found that in life. I mean, because we're used to being lied to. I mean, just drive down the street here to any fast food place, look at the picture of the sandwich on the sign, and then compare it to the sandwich you get. And you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's not going to, it's just not going to be that way. We have, it's hard to believe this world, amen? But how about with God? If God told you he was going to do something spectacular, what would it take for you to believe him? Well, that's what we want to pick up in our storyline today. We've been looking at Judges chapter 6, and we've been looking at this story of Gideon, um, who was at a time in Israel when they were um, running from the Moabites, and um, they had disobeyed God. And because they had disobeyed God, they were out from under God's covering, and so they were now at the hands of their enemy, and they were on the run. And in Judges chapter 6, we find Gideon hiding in a wine press because they were stealing all of their crops. And this angel comes to Gideon and he says, hail, mighty hero. And he tells Gideon this incredible story. He said, I'm going to send you as the leader of the Israelites to overcome the army of the Moabites. And Gideon is hearing this and he's like, what? Now, here's the question. Would you believe God if he told you that? I want you to look at how Gideon responds. If you want to take your sermon outline out, you can track along with me. We're going to throw it up on the screen for you as well. And the Lord says to Gideon, I will be with you. And you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. And so Gideon replied, read it with me, church. If you are truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it is really the Lord speaking to me. Show me a sign. Come on, it's just us. Let's just talk for a few minutes this morning. How many of you have ever kind of been in a place where you've asked God for some kind of sign? Anybody ever? Yeah, most of us do that at some point. And this is what Gideon's doing. He's having a struggle in really believing God. And so he wants some kind of sign from God to to know that this thing is is, is real. Now, I want to talk about that because I think a lot of times we really lean into that and we need some kind of sign. Now, why is that? Why do we want a sign? An angel just appeared to you, told you what's going to happen, and yet you want a sign. Why do we do that? You ready? On your outline. Let me give you several reasons. First, one of the reasons I think is just out of, uh, out of uncertainty. Just we're uncertain. We're not clear if it really is God's voice. You know, some decisions are, are big decisions, and we, 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 we need to hear. You know, is it, it God, is this really you? Now, as I was processing this, I think one of the things that came to me is sometimes it's not just about uncertainty. 
Sometimes I think it's really about the fact that we want some kind of guarantee from God. Like, God, I want to know that if I'm going to do this, everything's going to be okay. Look at me. As if when we choose God's will, everything's always okay. You see, the problem is things aren't always okay no matter which path you're on. Amen? Let's go back to what Jesus said, John 16, In this world, you will have, you'll have what? Trouble, problems. Now, how many of you found that to be true? Yeah. And, and, and it doesn't matter what path you're on. In fact, I remember uh, what's interesting. I, I remember in my quiet time, uh, one, one day reading Genesis chapter 12, which was when God was speaking to Abram. And he says, I want you to leave your country, your homeland, leave all your relatives, and I want you to go to this place that I'm going to show you. And it says, and so Abraham went, and he follows God. But no sooner does he get to this promised land that God was showing him, and it says, and there was a famine in the land. And Abram had to go down to Egypt for a while. And I'm sitting here in my quiet time, and I start laughing because I'm thinking, you know, if I'm Abram, I'm thinking, God, what's the deal? I mean, I left my country, I left my family, I left everything, and I go to where you want me to go, and immediately when I get here, there's a famine? Well, the problem is, I, I think that our, our theology that we sometimes live by is if is as if it's of God, then there aren't going to be problems. There aren't going to be hardships. There aren't going to be struggles. Look at me. There aren't going to be tragedies. Look at me, gang. I love you, but that's an illusion. In this world, you will have trouble, and that trouble is going to be there no matter which path you take. Amen? Lord, I, I want... I, I need a sign because I need to know if I'm going to take this job that everything's going to be okay. I, I need a sign because if I, if I marry this person, I want to know that we aren't going to have any problems. I, I need a sign. Now, again, it, it's not that we don't want to listen to the voice of the Lord because we certainly do. But what we're sometimes looking for is some kind of guarantee that it's all, it's all going to be easy. And I just want to be honest with you. It never is. All you have to do is track any character in Scripture, including the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, and you're going to find out that every person who followed God followed them through hardships as well as through blessings. Amen? I had a, uh, had a conversation a few weeks ago, real interesting, with a, a young man at the Y who was um, kind of struggling with wanting to find direction with his life. And he said... He said, you know, Steve, he said, hey, he said, I'm trying to decide, do I, do, I, do I go back to college or do I go into the armed forces and then go to college after the armed forces? And he said, and I've been, I've been praying about that. And I said, so what are you hearing? He said, well, I'm not really hearing anything. I said, oh, so what are you going to choose? He goes, I don't know. I just want God to tell me what to do. <laughs> Can you relate to this? And see, what, he, what he's asking is, Lord, I, I, want, I want the path. Look at me. But what if there is no the path? You see, sometimes I think when we think of the will of God, we think it is like this narrow. But what if, what if God is saying to him, like he often says to us, you can choose the path of your heart. And you know what? I'll be with you in any path that you take. I can bless you if you go into the armed services. I'll be with you. If I can bless you if you go back to school. I can, I can be with you in that. What if God gives you this much room? Well, that takes us out of our comfort zone because, again, we want guarantees. Sometimes our, our, our seeking a sign comes out of our insecurities. We're insecure. We, we don't have faith in ourselves or we don't have faith in God. Now, I really think this was at the heart of it for Gideon. 
you know, Gideon is hearing God say, I want you to lead these people into battle. And you remember how Gideon responded? You know, he responded by looking at himself. He said, Lord, I'm the least of the least. You know, I'm not a warrior. I don't have this capacity. And I think connected with that is that even though God is saying, I'm going to go with you, I think Gideon had a hard time believing that God plus him could accomplish what needed to be done. And sometimes when we struggle with our insecurity, Sometimes when we just struggle with believing, not just in ourselves, but in God, we, we want some kind of assurance. Sometimes it's immaturity. Sometimes it's immaturity. <laughs> Sometimes we, we just haven't grown enough in our relationship with God to understand how he works. Um, I was talking with a, a friend of mine uh, who's a, uh, a new grandmother, and she was talking about watching her granddaughter, and she was talking about how attached her granddaughter is um, to th- the mom. And she said, you know, it's so funny. She said, I, we, they were over at the house, and the grand, my daughter was going to go shopping and leave, leave her daughter with me. And so I took my granddaughter upstairs to show her something, and while I was upstairs, my daughter slipped out. And she said, and then when we came downstairs, my, my granddaughter's looking around, doesn't see her mom. And of course, what does the little girl do? Yeah, she starts screaming, crying. Now, what's going on? What's going on for this child? Yeah, she, she, the, children, in, in, when we're immature like that, reality is here, reality is now. She hasn't lived long enough, grown long enough. Her mind can't think about the fact that mom is just gone for a little while. Mom will be back. All she knows is mom is not here now, and now is all she knows. Does this make sense to you? Now, and this is a part of what happens sometimes for us. When we haven't journeyed long enough for God with, or walked deeply enough with God, sometimes what happens is we only trust God if God is right here and right now. Because in those quiet moments, look at me, and God does get quiet sometimes. We have a hard time trusting him. Amen? You betcha. I, I thought of another one. Justification. <laughs> Justification. I'm going to step on somebody today. Justification is where we want to put God's stamp of approval on stuff. And we want to sign. But it's kind of actually a reverse sign. Now, I'm going to give you an illustration, and I'm sure none of you have ever done this. You go to a car lot, and you see a car you really, really want. But you can't afford that car. Or we're in Oklahoma, you see a pickup truck that you really, really want. And the pickup truck costs three times as much as your home. (laughs) But you really, really want it. In fact, it's almost like you can hear it whispering your name as you walk by. And the salesman comes out and, and they begin to talk to you about, oh, you would look so good in this car. And you agree, I would look good in this car. And you can picture yourself driving up to work and everybody going, oh, man, look at them in that truck. And you can, you can just feel it. You can feel it happening. And, and the salesman begins to talk to you. And yet in the back of your mind, there's this voice going, you know you can't afford this. And then the salesman begins to talk to you about, oh, you know what? This is just 12 years of easy payments, you know. <laughs> and you're firstborn, you know, it's kind of a... And, 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 you, and they begin, they begin to, and so, and so you're, 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 you want it, you really, really want it, and so you spiritualize it. 
And you know, you can, you can feel, and so, and so you say something like, God, if you don't want me to get this truck, then keep me from getting approved for the financing. <laughs> Come on, anybody want to own up? And, and, and yet, look at me. And God doesn't work that way. I like to eat. Anybody else like to eat? I like to eat. It's kind of like me sitting in my lounge chair at midnight, was, which is when I like to eat the most. <laughs> That's horrible, I know. And I've got this package of Twinkies. I like Twinkies. And I know I shouldn't eat them. I know they're going to clog my arteries. I know it's going to give me indigestion while I sleep. But, but somewhere inside of me, I know I deserve these Twinkies. <laughs> I believe God wants me to have these Twinkies. And so there's this wrestling match that's going on. And, and so I pray this prayer and I say, God, if you don't want me to eat these Twinkies, don't let me be able to open this wrapper. <laughs> Look at me. I'm taking a chainsaw to that wrapper if I can't get it. <laughs> you see, here, here's what I want you to understand. It's, it's so interesting how we try to force God into our little life. And we try to manipulate him into agreeing with us and stuff that we really want. When the fact God's already made it clear. No, you shouldn't eat Twinkies at midnight. Are you kidding me? Look at me. I love you, but you got to understand this. God gave you a brain. Use it. Amen. And God gave us free will. And you need to be careful with that. Let me give you another one. One more. Another reason why we often will seek a sign is it's simply out of desperation. It's simply out of desperation. And I'm going to be honest with you. In my experience and journey with God and dealing with other people, if there is a time when I've seen God give a sign, it's times like this. And this is where we're in a crisis of life or faith, and we, we really need to hear God say something to us for something to hold on to. And I could give you lots of stories of people who prayed that prayer of desperation and God showed up in ways that'll just make the hair stand up on the back of your head. He, he does that sometimes. Look at me. God loves us so much. He does give us signs from time to time. But I don't think that's the way God wants to operate. Now, in the story, God gave Gideon a sign, but I don't think that's really what God wanted to happen in that. Look at me. I think God wanted Gideon to trust him. Does this make sense? In fact, I saw this cartoon last week. I thought this was really cute, and I thought, this is really typical. This is how some of us, I think, sometimes live our life. Sometimes we just miss the point. <laughs> you know, here's Jesus calling us to walk on water, and it's like, okay, as long as I got my rubber ducky floaty, baby, I'm, I'm good. You know, I'll take, I'll take that step of faith. And we, we, we want that. When I really think that God wants us to learn how to trust him. Now, let me turn the real, corner real quickly for you. I just want to give you, now look at me, I want you to hear my heart. 
I'm not telling you it's evil to sometimes ask God for a sign. And obviously, scripturally, God does sometimes give us a sign. He does do that. I think we have to be careful, though. Because sometimes, sometimes we're like Bruce Almighty. Anybody ever see the movie Bruce Almighty? Yeah, there's a great scene in it uh, where, where Bruce Almighty is at a crisis of faith, and he's asking God for a sign. And like these flashing signs, you know, are all around him. And he just keeps ignoring him. And God even pages him. And he looks at the page and says, don't know you. Wouldn't answer if I did. You know, just kind of. Thing. And I think sometimes that's kind of how we, we, we get real kind of confused with this. It's not that God doesn't know. But I think we've got to be really careful in seeking a sign. Here's why. Let me give you a couple things real quick. First, we, we need to be careful because sometimes the sign, it replaces the seeking that God wants. It replaces the seeking. The one thing about God giving you a sign, and this is what you'll discover in Gideon and as you follow it into the New Testament, is when God gave Gideon a sign, that one sign wasn't enough. If you track the story of Gideon, God had, Gideon asked God for another sign. And that's because that kind of becomes the basis of the relationship. He, he just kept wanting God to give him this kinds of reassurance. You follow it into the New Testament. Jesus makes a really strong statement when he says, you know what? It's really a wicked and adulterous generation that seeks a sign. That was really harsh. But because Jesus was, had a lot of people around him who just wanted him to keep doing miracles. You know, John chapter 6, Jesus does the, the miracle with the loaves and the fishes and he multiplies them and feeds people. And then he taught them, and then it says the next day as Jesus is moving on, they caught up with him again, and they said, you know, we want, we want to see you do it again. And Jesus goes, you're not, you're not looking for me. You just want your bellies fed. And, and what God wants, God doesn't, look at me, God doesn't want to just do stuff for us. God wants us to know him. Amen? He wants us to know him. And that only comes through seeking him. A couple great scriptures. Throw that first one up on the screen from Psalms. Read it with me, church. The Lord looks down from heaven on the entire human race. He looks to see if anyone is truly wise, if anyone seeks God. Throw the next one up here for me. The lions may grow weak and hungry. Read it with me. But those who seek the Lord lack no good Thing. 1974, I was in the back of a bus on the way to Denver, Colorado for the International Youth Convention. And I was in a, a, just a real struggle of faith. Um, I was uh, one foot in with God, one foot out with Steve, you know. And, and I, was, I had just enough Jesus to be miserable in my life. And God was wrestling with me about this whole lordship piece. And I was reading a book called The Cost of Discipleship. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer was just eating my lunch about how God wants us all in. And it was out of the context of that time in my life that I landed on what was, became my life verse that I will actually preach on beginning of January. Throw that up on the screen for me. But this is my life verse. Read it with me, church. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And that's what God wants from us. He wants us to keep on seeking him. One of the other dangers in, in seeking a sign is that it removes faith from the relationship. It removes faith from the relationship. How many of you have people in your life you don't trust? 
Why are you looking at me when you hold that hand up? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One of the interesting things is relationships are built on trust. And if you don't have a good foundation of trust, it's hard to have a relationship. Which is why every once in a while, um, I'll have someone, uh, a married couple, that'll, that'll come in to want to talk to me about what's going on. And, and every once in a while, people get kind of paranoid in their relationship, and, and they'll start texting, like, you know, 100 times a day. I'll, I'll, you know, you get, you're getting texts. And, and it's, again, it's about, I need that reassurance. I need it now. I need it again. I need it again. And I need it again. Or they're calling. Or now, I, I guess they're putting, actually putting trackers on, on cell phones, on smartphones, so people can track the person they're in a relationship with to see where they are and where they're going. Now, again, I know that there are things that happen in relationships that violate trust, and trust has to be rebuilt, and sometimes domestic measures have to be taken. I, I, I get that. But what I want to say is you can't be in a healthy relationship if you don't trust them. And it's the same with God. More than anything else, God wants you to be able to trust him. In fact, the Hebrew is up on the screen for me, would you please? Read it with me, church. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. What I want to tell you is in this journey with God, one of the things you're going to discover is that it will take faith for you to stay with God for the long haul. One of the things you're going to learn is, if you haven't already, is you don't always know what God's up to. Amen? And sometimes God doesn't answer prayer the way that you want him to answer. Amen? In fact, sometimes you're going to pray for something and the exact opposite is going to take place. And here's the deal. Do you trust him now? You see, that's why God says, you know what? Without faith, you're not going to be able to follow me because I'm going to take you to places you've never dreamed of and I'm going to do things that you're not always going to understand and I'm going to need you to trust my heart when you don't understand my ways. And that takes faith. That's why I love how Paul framed it in Corinthians. Throw that verse up on the screen. Read it with me, church. For we live by faith and not by sight. Amen. One last thought for you. Another reason that it's, it's, we've got to be careful in, in seeking a sign is that it really ignores what God has already done. It really ignores what God has already done. Throw that picture up for me. That old picture is a, uh, a guy by the name of Henry. He was known as uh, patient H.W. back in the early 50s. Uh, Henry suffered from uh, seizures. And they were doing some experimental kinds of treatment for seizures. And not really sure at that time uh, how to always deal with them. And one of the surgeries they were doing was actually having neurosurgeons do uh, some stimulation on the brain. Which is what Henry in 1953 agreed to do. So the neurosurgeons went in and they went to the part of the brain they thought would be causing the epileptic seizures. And they did some surgical correction on that. 
problem was when Henry came out from under the anesthesia, he couldn't remember anything beyond like a five seconds of what just happened for the rest of his life. He would do something and immediately he would forget what he just did. He would walk into a room and immediately forget why he had walked in the room. Now, I got to be honest with you, I'm doing a little more of that these days myself. But his, his memory was literally gone. He had, he had no memory. It was like every experience was, was brand new for him. Now, when I read that story, I thought, that's a little bit of how we are with God. Come on, it's us. How many of you have had God answer prayer for you in the past? How many of you have had God provide for you when there was no other way but the provision of God? How many of you have seen God work in what could only be explained as that was a miracle? Anybody? Yeah. Now, help me understand why when we've already had all of these experiences of God answering prayer, of God providing, and God doing miracles, why is it do we need one more sign? God's already done all we've needed to see. Amen? Look at me. If he never lifted his hand one more time, he's already given us so much more than we deserve. You need a sign from God? How about the sign that we're celebrating this time of year with the coming of his son? For God so loved you that he gave his one and only son that if you would just believe in him, You wouldn't perish, but you could have everlasting life. And it was while we were yet sinners that Christ died for us. Do you really think a God who has done all of that will leave you now? I love the passage of Scripture. Throw that up on the screen for me. Read it with me, church. Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for all of us, Won't he also give us everything else? You need a sign from God? Throw that up on the screen for me. There it is. That's all the sign you need. That's the sign that God loves you. That's the sign that God will never leave you or forsake you. That's the sign that your heavenly father is willing to do anything for you. Amen. I'm going to ask our ushers to go ahead and get ready to service the communion elements in just a moment. Rachel's going to come and, and she's going to lead us in a, in a song. It's, a, it's an old hymn that has a beautiful bridge to it. It's a song that says... Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. And I want you in this song to think about whatever it is that you need to trust God with today. And as you hold those elements in your hand, I I want you to ask yourself the question, do you really believe that a God who would provide his body and his blood for you, do you really think he's going to leave you now? And just make this your personal time of worship as we sing this song together. As the ushers pass the elements, don't forget the cups are stacked in two. The bottom cup has your bread, top cup has your juice. Hold on to both of those. And after we sing this song, I want to pray a prayer for us. And then we'll receive the elements together. What is it you need to trust God with today? Look at me. 
He's already given you a sign. It's the only sign you need. Lean into that. And that's our prayer today, Lord. It's for the grace just to, to trust you more. You know, we worry about so many things. And sometimes we get so fixated on our fear or the obstacles or the problems that, that we just totally lose sight of you. Sometimes, like Gideon, we're stuck in this wine press of fear and we can't seem to break out. The door is trust. The door is faith. And so today, Father, whatever it is, it's heavy on the hearts of any of us who are here this morning. Would you help us just to be able to lay it on the table before you? Let you lift it from our heart and take it from our lives. Remind us again today, you will never leave us or forsake us. You will be with us every step of the way. Doesn't mean there won't be challenges. Don't mean that there won't be pain, sorrow. Don't mean that it wasn't, there won't be times when we'll have setbacks because we will. But in, even in those low moments of life, maybe especially in those low moments of life, you are near. Lord, we hold in our hands the only sign that we need. A little piece of bread that represents a body that was broken. A little cup of juice that represents blood that was spilt on our behalf. This was your sign that you love us. This was your sign that you believe in us. This was your sign that you were willing to come and live in our hearts and lives. And this morning, we are so grateful. We trust you, Lord. And it's in your precious name that we pray. And everyone said,